Hello, Hoovians, and welcome to another episode of the greatest place you'll ever hear Doctor Who content, Doctor Who discussions. And today I'm here with a very special guest who is best known for doing the documentaries for the brand new Blu-ray box sets and for Right for Big Finish, the one, the only, Chris Chapman. Hey, what an introduction. Thank you, Thomas. Very happy to be here. You're welcome. Now, for people that might not know who you are, would you be able to give them a brief overview of who you are? Sure. Uh, that's that's a good soul-searching question to start with, isn't it? Uh, I basically, I, I the main thing I do is I make documentaries, and I do that mostly for, for, for telly, for the BBC, but I've had a sideline, I guess, for the last uh really kind of 11 or 12 years of making documentaries for the doctor who releases originally special features for dvd so we used to do things like uh like blue like uh who peter and hayduck versus havoc and living with levine and lots of the making ofs and so on and then uh, it stopped for a while and then we released these beautiful blu-ray box sets and now i do uh, making of and special documentaries for those. So we've done stuff like we did Showman, The Life of John Nathan Turner and Our Sarah Jane about Elizabeth Sladen. And we've done more with Toby Haydock. We did Weekend with Waterhouse and the Doctor Who cookbook and Looking for Lenny and things. And recently we've done, we, we did one with Frank Skinner uh, called Terence and Me that was a tribute to Terence Dix. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole side of what I do. And then also through those people really in a really corrupt way through the people i've met making those documentaries i got a chance to pitch to big finish and say hey i i, I write short films uh could i could i write some doctor who for you and i've done about 10 releases for them from i think we started with the memory bank and the middle and scorched earth and iron bright and apply to the pimpernel for colin and i've also done oh so uh, memory bank for peter and I've also done Warzone for Peter and Host of the Women for the unit set and The Friendly Invasion with Tom, uh, which isn't quite out yet. Uh, so, no, it's good. Here's my toddler, by the way. This is like that bit in the TV, in the in the news thing, when the kids come in and behind. Hello, Edie, do you want to come and say hello to Tom? Hello. Hello. I think you're on the internet. Are you going to say hello to, hello to Doctor Who fans? Are you going to wave? <laughs> uh, you can sit in if you like it. You can sit in as long as you, you're well behaved. Um, and, yes, and, Tom, that's me. And so now we're going to go a little bit further back. Now, when did you first see Doctor Who and how did you get into it? Uh, so this all begins for me. I'm probably one of the tail enders, I think, in terms of the original series that I started watching uh, Trial of the Time Lord. So I guess 86, I would have been uh, five uh, and have vague memories of that. And then big fat memories of watching Remembrance of the Daleks. I don't have a lot of memories of season 24. I don't know if my parents just decided they hated the look of it or maybe had a weird distaste for Bonnie Langford. I love Bonnie, but I don't know if my parents liked it. Uh, and so Remembrance of the Daleks, we used to, at school, we used to play around uh, the, the outside sheds and the mobiles. We would pretend to be a Dalek, an ace with a baseball bat and the doctor. And when people say the show wasn't popular in 87, uh, actually, this would be in 88. Um, actually, for us, age seven, it, it was it was it was still a big deal. 
And then I kind of, uh, then it disappeared. It wasn't on telly. Uh, when I was ready to, to spend the rest of my life watching it, it just kind of vanished after the survival. And it took the, uh, the BBC Two repeats in the early 90s and the VHSs for me to get kind of back into it. Mm. Uh, and yeah, it kind of went for now. I've, I've always, I think for a lot of us, Tom, it's that feeling of a lot of us who felt a bit, uh, a bit odd or isolated or different when we were, when we were young saw the Doctor as this kind of, Blimey, this is a person who's who's different and strange, but that's great. And they have adventures, and they and they and and being different is not a bad thing. is a, is a great thing. And uh, so I think I think it was a real inspiration for me at that point. And I used to write Doctor Who stories. I wrote. I remember writing a sequel to Curse of Fenric in my exercise book that was like set after the war, and Fenric had somehow got back to London in in the kind of ruin of the. Of, of the Blitz in kind of 1950 or so and I remember writing that and I remember writing a sequel to Terror of the Autons just because I really liked the Autons and I was just obsessed with Terror of the Autons and uh, yeah so it, all, it started like a lot of people started that you 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 you're a fan first and foremost and then everything else kind of comes after that really <laughs> oh yeah that's a mirror you see that's a mirror, mirror. and and um it's a similar it's a similar thing for me is that when I was in primary school um I used to run around and pretend I was Matt Smith and I don't I don't think it's very like safe to do it but I used to put my ear against the floor yes, and the floor like very dirty yes thinking yes. I was listening to the floor thinking I'm <laughs> but, that, but that's how it starts it's that um, yeah. it's that kind of imaginative yes, approach to yes, to being a fan of something <laughs> Excuse me. Let's just put this over here. Uh, I think that's how it begins. And that, and if you spoke to any creative who's worked on Doctor Who, I'm sure your Stephen Moffat's and your Russell T Davises would have had a moment as a child. Yeah. Yeah. So I I, I empathise with you listening to the floor and song because it is. I don't think classmates know quite what to do with that stuff after a while. And I was one of those kids who I, I think I. I got to 11 or 12 mm. and I thought, I don't really want to stop being a kid. I still want to do those things and be into, I still loved Doctor Who and Transformers and things like that. And all the other kids at school had decided they were too cool for anything else and just wanted to stand around and not play anymore. And I, and I felt really a bit alien at that point. And it took a while for me to realize, as the doctor would say, you know, that there's no point in being grown up if you can't be childish, that you, you do get a chance to rediscover publicly <laughs> that, <laughs> that that childhood because as nerds we fill our houses now with <laughs> toys basically <laughs> and, and, and and I would say actually from work from my point of view working I I play I go out and I make films and I'm playing and I'm making believe and I'm I'm you know it's pure imagination in that sense so anybody that tells you when you're 12 that you need to grow up doesn't really understand what being a grown-up is mm. I'd say yeah, well, I was um, around when when Doctor Who became like started to come back as a big, uh, big like thing when it was all Matt Smith and everyone had all the training cards and you and you and you couldn't get anywhere without seeing all the training cards. So it was it, it was and then it all just like vanished. It was, it was there. It was like ooh, and then it went ooh. <laughs> I know. I can't imagine what it would have been like if you were a kid in like two thousand and six or two thousand seven when suddenly you had Doctor Who and Torchwood and Sarah Jane was on its way and you had Confidential and Totally Doctor Who and you know there, there have been these feast and famine moments with Doctor Who when it does go quiet yeah. and then suddenly it's everywhere again for another generation mm -hmm. so I think we're probably in a slightly 
partly because I don't think Cardiff like making a lot of publicity noise and so yeah. on. Uh, we're in a quieter time at the moment, but I'm sure that will change again. Yeah, and and what's what's quite good about when when Doctor Who like trying with Russell T Davies, it was with you had like different like different episodes, different type of series for different uh, age groups. What what was rather I don't know if you know about this, but what was rather funny they accidentally showed an episode of Torchwood on CBC once. No, they it, didn't. What? Because, because what happened was the series C used to end and. BBC Three used to begin. Oh, they I actually, see. They had a logo mishap, so they had to do that. They had to edit the episode to make it more of a family-friendly thing. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're absolutely right. That, that, that I think they sh- they did share the same uh, the same transmission channel, or was yeah. it, or was it was it CBBS? I no, get CBBC ended at seven and then yes. went on to BBC Three. Yeah. Oh dear, that could be. You wouldn't want the CBBC crowd watching like day one or something you know you wouldn't no. you, or, or countryside or something like that you know you, you don't want that to happen no. No. i'm sure i'm sure cardiff would have been mortified at that. <laughs> but we love it when things go wrong i mean i always remember uh you know i'm sure everybody does that moment where in rose in 2005 when we were all watching excited that doctor who was back and then and then graham norton starts talking over the, over the top of it that you get the studio bleed from the Andrew Lloyd Webber series he was doing at the time. Or was it Dance Fever? Maybe it was Dance Fever. Uh, so we love it when things go wrong, although it's mortifying at, at that moment. Yeah. Uh, and so because you you were a documentary filmmaker and a writer, um, th- this might seem really weird, but I want to know uh, what inspired you to write uh, The Middle? Ah, The Middle. Yes. Uh, oh, good. Well, uh, for anybody who hasn't, uh, heard the middle yet? It's a Colin Baker. It's Colin Baker and Flip and Constance, and they arrive on a on a planet called Formicia, where um, or a place called Formicia, I should say, where if you are well, actually, I shouldn't ruin it actually because you you find out during the course of the story. But it's it's kind of this idea, seemingly that the over seventies are being euthanized in this place that you uh, and that maybe the population is separated and judged and and placed and used in accordance with their ages and somebody i remember at the big finish recording day one of the producers said to me oh is this based off that star trek the next generation episode and i'd never heard of it i think i can't remember his name but i think there's an early next gen episode which has something about old people being put to a different use when they hit a certain age i was thinking i'd been to the zoo basically it sounds (laughs) ridiculous people say where do do ideas come from often they come from really silly places and i'd literally been to the zoo and been to the insect house and seen a little thing about ants to say in an ant colony uh the older ants are seen as the more expendable uh because they've lived a life they've done their duty to the queen and so they're used then for the more dangerous jobs Uh, and the younger ants who need to grow up and and do other things in their lifetime are kind of protected because you don't want to lose a an ant early in its life and i and i just thought it was a really i thought that's that makes perfect sense what a logical way to run a society and and so that's the the idea for the middle kind of really comes from from that and a, a little bit of um i think i just lost my grandfather around the same time and he'd been an incredibly capable when he died 94 year old and still had a driving license had still been driving up until the age of 93 which is slightly terrifying by that point uh, and and you know i know so it was it was kind of a love letter to what i knew he was capable of so a story about don't underestimate you know w- w- like like any age really it's a, it's a it's a defense of young people and old people and and the people in between 
so yeah, that was really fun. That was the first four part one I'd written for Big Finish. Uh, and I just, I was just editing uh, a CBBC show called Our School at the time. Yeah. It was like a fly on the wall series set inside a high, different high schools. Yeah, I really been... enjoyed that show. I, I used to, it was, on, it was on when I was, uh, I think it was like a year before I went to high school. It was. It well, that's began. perfect. That's perfect because that's who it was aimed at. It was yeah. exactly aimed at people who were in year six to say, here's high school. Here's what it's like. And it's, you know, to, to, to make it feel a bit less scary. Uh, we also made it feel quite mad and dramatic and lots of stuff going on, but hopefully a bit less scary. Mm. Uh, but no, the all, most of the characters in the middle are named after kids that we filmed in series three of our school. So if anybody's ever seen like the Firth Park series, then uh, people like, there were names like Javonti and uh, Chloe and Janaya and, and Gaynor all those character names really apart from the middleman there wasn't a teacher at the school <laughs> called the middleman but, but all of the other characters are named after kids yeah. from that year and I told them that when I went back to film with them again but I just wanted you know we'd been filming with them for ages and I thought I want to do a little tribute to how awesome these kids have been by putting them in Doctor Who. Wow, <laughs> wow. I, I didn't oh, wow. I, that is the crossover you did not expect today. Yeah, no, I, did, I did not I did not <laughs> expect that, that I, I wow because I when I first heard it in the middle, it was, well, it is still is. It's one of the greatest that it reminds me of the Russell T Davis era. Oh, well, thank you. That's and and it, it, it is just incredible. And it's like the, the opening, you just draws you in from where it begins. And then and you, you see how it all changes and you can just imagine it. And it's what audio dramas do. They let your imagination go wild. And would you ever want to see um the middle ever be animated oh i'd love to see anything happen <laughs> no i mean i mean we kind of write these things in a little bubble thinking you know i hope somebody hears this you know and i'm sure i'm sure it's been lovely feedback that i've that people have given um you'd love any kind of future for your story you know and it must have been amazing if you were rob sherman uh, or you know if you were rob sherman back in 2004 and Russell T. Davis emails to say, do you want to adapt Jubilee to be the first appearance of the Daleks in the new series? I mean, Rob must have been, I, I know he would. He was over the moon. And again, then with Paul Cornell getting to, 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 to take human nature from the books and, and turn that into a season three story. Uh, I think any of us would be lying if, if we didn't think it would be amazing to do something with with those scripts. Uh, I mean, realistically, I have to assume that's not going to happen, but certainly the middle, is one of those stories it would be a budget breaker on telly you know it's one that when you're writing it you're thinking i can do whatever i like and i'm gonna have geriatrics in in robot suits jumping up the outside of giant bits of like towers of glass and all this and uh, so actually animation would probably be an easier an easier task than live action in in that way but no i'd, I'd, I'd love that tom i'd yeah. love that uh, because there's like fans uh, online that are now animating different stories because they're like they want to see it happen and then I think Big Finish have only ever animated one story I think yeah yeah they they but the thing is they 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 dabble because all of the a lot some of the missing stories that are now being done things like Fury from the Deep were kind of co-productions you know were looked after by part of Big Finish uh -huh. Gary Russell was was working as part of their body to produce those so they've always dabbled so it's not I, I don't think it's impossible that something like that might happen in the future but the problem is that all of these big finish scripts are written 
very specifically for audio. So in the, in the middle, there's a lot of people going, oh, doctor, look, there's a big tower over there. And, and oh, no, they're coming behind us and all this kind of thing. And, and, and you kind of you want to you want to do that in a hopefully not not rubbish way. Uh, but it is always different to how you would do it in like if, if you could see the stuff, you would have scenes that happened without dialogue because you could just have something something happening. Uh, but no, it would be, I mean, I think that would be lovely. I think there'd be others in the queue first. I mean, yeah. I think they'd be animating like Chimes of Midnight or or The Holy Terror or, you know, or, or Storm Warning or something like that, you know, would be ahead of the queue. But uh, it's, it'd be a lovely idea. Yeah. Uh, now, now coming, going away a little bit from, from the audience, now you doing your documentaries, what inspired you to do the documentaries for the Series 8 box set? All right, okay. Uh, so on Series 8... We did three new ones. There's loads of our old ones on that because you've got things like Living with Levine and, and we did loads of the making ofs for season eight. But the, the new stuff is uh, we did the um, Terence and Me tribute with Frank Skinner and we did the direct route, which was the three directors, Graham Harper, Tim Coombe and Michael Bryant going around all the locations of that year. And we did uh, Devil's Weekend uh, with Katie Manning and John Levine going back to Audubon. Uh, and I guess, I guess the, the, a big inspiration on that year was, I mean, I love that year. I love season eight. I love the kind of the feel of it is so, so much a blanket to me is so comfortable. Uh, and yet it's also a series full of ideas and full of action. And, and you've got Joe Grant kind of bouncing in and the unit family feels fully formed by that point with, with, with Captain Yates coming in and Benson coming back. Uh, with 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 Devil's End, uh, so with Devil's Weekend, we just wanted to pay tribute to Aldbourne. Really, we'd not done, we'd not gone to Aldbourne for the DVD for the making of. So I thought, how could we not? And and it's such a beautiful village, uh, and 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 basically the most quintessential Doctor Who location of them all, and the one that you can still go back to. And it's as it was really in terms of the in terms of that village green. It really hasn't changed at all, uh, gloriously. So we wanted to capture that uh, and putting John and Katie together. They're two such massive characters. You know, I love them both, but they are both in their own glorious ways. They're, they're bonkers and yet lovable and uh, very engaging to watch. I'm going to close the door behind me. So wait one second. Wait one second. I'm just going to close this door. Uh, and then... With the other ones, uh, direct route, it was more of a case of, <clears throat> I thought that uh, we'd done the writer's room with writers talking about a particular season all together in a pub. And I thought, why don't we do something like that with directors? Because particularly with directors, they, they, they never kind of used to really work together. They'd always have their own projects and be kept in their own bubbles. And so they wouldn't really know what the other guy was doing, or they might have an idea and be jealous of, oh, he got to go there. I'm in the studio and he got to go there. He got to go to Aldbourne and ah. and, and I thought actually just to buddy them up together and take them back to those locations and really reflect on each other's work and be surprised at what the other directors had managed to do or intimidated by a location that the other director had had to get to grips with. And particularly with season eight, there's a lot of great locations in that series. You know, you've got Dover Castle and, and Dungeness for Axos and, and, uh, 
and 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 Oldbourne, of course. Mm. So that kind of made itself in that way. You thought, well, this this would be lots of fun. Three crazy days of driving around in a black cab to do that. And then the final one uh, was was the Terence tribute, which you know is the easiest inspiration in the world because why you know why wouldn't you want to pay tribute to Terence? And we'd work with him. Uh, I'd work with him about half a dozen different times over the years, and and just thought. I know it's only a year or so on when we pitched it to the family from him yeah. passing, but it felt like there was still such a, a a huge outpouring of warmth towards him, and and we just got lucky that we that I kind of suspected that Frank Skinner, I knew he was a fan of that era, and uh, and got in touch thinking and Frank will probably say no to this because we don't have the budget, we don't have the time that a, a, a proper TV broadcast doc would have. And he said yes, because he just really genuinely loves Doctor Who and particularly had a real love for Terence. And then amazingly lived over the road from him, which I didn't know when I pitched it, which is the luckiest thing in the world from a story point of view. And gave the whole film its kind of arc really for him. Yeah, uh, yeah so they all, you know, they, they kind of, the inspiration was partly that all the making ofs on that season had been done. So I think when we see there's a missing making of on a box set, we kind of feel the, obliged to fill that gap if we can. And on this case, there were no gaps to fill. So it meant, okay, we need to do something slightly sideways and slightly diagonal, so slightly different. And so we did. And, and it was really, it was a really fun set to work on. It really was. Did you ever get um, starstruck when you met like Katie Manning for the first time and, and the other cast members and Frank Skinner and that? I don't think so. I think, I think I tend to... I probably don't enjoy those days as a fan. I should kind of go into them and be like, oh my God, it's it's, it's Joe Grant. And, and, and uh, but I think you're so focused on what you have to do. And we're so time limited on these things that the whole of that Frank Skinner doc, an hour of telly was shot in three days. Wow. You know, the three days for everything you see in that film. And so it's scheduled to within an inch of its life. And hopefully, my job is to make sure it doesn't feel like a, a stress or a rush to the people in it. But inside my head, I'm going, okay, sh -sh 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 and, and trying to plan out everything as, we, as we're going. Uh, so I don't think I have time to be starstruck. And I think, I think people like, I think contributors would rather you just related to them as a friend and a colleague rather than being kind of nerding out about it. You know, I think they, they'd rather you just kind of, spoke to them as a as a human being so and um, maybe it's good that i'm i'm so busy it kind of it just means i have to be myself and and chat to them and 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 talk about what we're what we're doing and and where we where we're doing it uh i think occasionally you do have a surreal moment of thinking that's tom baker there talking telling me a story about sarah jane smith uh but normally it's after the person's left yeah. i want it to go so well that I will not allow myself to be like, oh, until <laughs> it's finished. And I go, Tom's off in his car. He's a very happy man. I'm really happy. Oh, Tom Baker, you know, that, that that's the kind of the moment for me. is Because yeah. up until that point, I might ruin it with, you know, I might, <laughs> you know, I might like make Tom angry at me or I might kind of, I might, Tom might step out and be run over by a bus and it would be my fault <laughs> or something. And you just keep thinking of, of all these things that could happen. Uh, so it's lovely. My favourite bit is to know that it worked. And, yeah. and, and and I think we always get lovely feedback from the cast and the crew and they keep working with us. So we, so we can't be too bad. We can't be too awful. Yeah. And we, being a, a creative and doing all these, um, what, what, 
is it like a nice feeling for you when you get positive feedback from all the fans when when the when they were getting the uh, box set through and they were watching them and you saw how how happy they were? Did that make you feel happy or or did, or did that just make you feel like you've done a good job? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I think I see a lot of creatives saying, "Oh, I don't read the reviews and I don't do it for the fans." I, you know, I listen, you know, I don't don't go on Twitter. I'm terrible. I look at everything. <laughs> I do, I do, because. Um, we are making these for such a specific audience. Like if you're making a telly show, if you're making Bake Off, then you're making it for loads of different types of people, millions and millions of people from different walks of life. But we are making documentaries for, I don't know, like kind of for, for, for 50,000 people, for 60,000 people, like for a really targeted amount of people. And if those, if you made it for those people and then they didn't like it, however much I thought I did a good job, I've kind of failed. You know, if, if it was rejected by that fan base, that's who it's for. And and so I do read reviews and I do look on Twitter and I do look on the forums because you've made a film often in a vacuum where only a small number of people really have seen it. And people like yourself and your editor uh, have seen it lots. So you've maybe lost that ability to step back. Uh, and and, and I'm, I'm, I'm always interested to see when people watch it, uh, you know, how did it go down? And I won't get carried away with that you know if I read a negative review I, I know how to deal with it I know how to you know not let that bother me it's more about the consensus it's more about if the majority of people feel a certain way you think yeah that that's good then and some people it matters more than others you know if, if we'd made the Sarah Jane the Liz Sladen tribute and her daughter Sadie who's in it had been very supportive of it if Sadie had hated it that would have been really difficult yeah you know it would have been a really I, and I would have felt like we, we'd failed if that had been the case. And that's only one person, but it's it's a very significant person in that in that context in that story. Um, so I do look and I do read, uh, and sometimes it changes things. I always say there's there was a Doctor Who magazine review of living with with Levine when we sent Toby Haydock to spend a weekend with John Levine in Salisbury, uh, about nearly like ten years ago, and and Doctor Who magazine said they thought we'd been a bit snide, I think, and that there was one bit of voiceover that said something like, I couldn't help but think that John was putting on a bit of a show. And I kind of read this one, I was like, oh, but then thought, blimey, they've, they've got me there. Actually, they've got me because they're right. And, I, and I'd written some of the voiceover for it to be like Toby's thoughts because I didn't quite trust the film to be getting across some of these ideas of, of maybe what, what was happening on the surface and what was happening underneath. And I thought they're right. So when we did a uh, weekend with Waterhouse and Toby went and spent a weekend with Matthew Waterhouse, uh, we didn't do any of that. I kind of said, right, when we're not going to do any thoughts, you know, we're not going to have any voiceover. I think the only voiceover in it is literally to say, I arrived at Matthew's house or, you know, just, just very basic A to B stuff. Um, and so, feed, you know, sometimes it's good to, to be open to the feedback and, and actually think, yeah, if I do that bit, the next thing will be better. But it's, but it's also knowing when to say, no, that critique is, is wrong, that's incorrect, and I will not take that to heart. So it's, it's a tricky balance, it is. But I generally can't help myself, <laughs> but, but look. Yeah. And, and now, because as well as doing the Series 8, box set or, or season we're not going to go into how you pronounce it because it'll probably cause some upset but from the series 24 box set what's yes. your favorite documentary if you're allowed to say i can say uh well I, the funny thing is i'm not i'm not 
I've not been quite so involved in season the, the 24 box set because uh, I, I was on another BBC job at the same time that it was being made. But the one that I've done for it, which I'm very happy about, is uh, we did uh, we did one for season 23 called The Doctor's Table uh, when it was Colin and Nicola and Michael Jaston and Bonnie Langford all having a nice posh dinner. Uh, and we shot, we had like five cameras going at the same time and they just had lots of champagne and lots of fun and answered silly questions from TARDIS cookie jars. And uh, and so I said, let's do that again. Let's let's do that on season 24. And so we got Sylvester and Sophie Aldred and Bonnie Langford. And we got Clive Merrison, who plays uh, the, the deputy chief caretaker in Paradise Towers, who's a very funny, uh, witty man. And, uh, and we just plonk them down at a table. So it's the simplest format in the world. And it's kind of ripping off a few different things off the telly. There's a show on BBC Two called I'll Get This, yeah. which is basically the same. <laughs> it's the same thing. But, 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 it, but I think for yeah. a Doctor Who format, you, you really kind of get to know those figures who you're so used to seeing, but maybe you don't know how Sylvester McCoy feels about cannibalism. Yeah. You know, you don't know if Sylvester McCoy would eat another human being's flesh if... It was required. But now, through the magic of this documentary, you will. You will know this, Tom. Uh, so it, it's very silly. Uh, but I think you probably get to know them better than you, maybe than you ever have, in, in, in a way, just by seeing them so informal. And because we shoot it with five cameras, uh, so everybody's got, each of the four has a close-up, and then we've got a wide shot. So there's never any cheating. There's never us taking a listening shot from somewhere else and putting it in. It's all live and it's just that we've chopped it down to be a pacey kind of 40 minutes yeah. rather than, you know, much longer. Uh, and I think to shoot that, that's lovely because I get to shut up. I get to kind of say at the beginning, so this is kind of what I'm after, sort of, here's the tins. And, and I have my say through what the questions are in the TARDIS cookie jars. It's a bit like the, the, uh, the, the TARDIS tin thing they've done in Doctor Who magazine for years, but the questions are more inspired by the particular season and then we just let them play and have fun and 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 i think they get a kick and really uh but that's my favorite one on season 24 there's also uh richard latto has uh has co-directed i think a big feature length overview uh called here's to the future i think which i've not seen yet but i'm sure will be good richard's work's always really good and steve steve brost has done a making off for delta the bannerman uh delta and the bannerman but the big thing really is I think it's the biggest set we've ever had in terms of material, in terms of um, raw studio footage and behind the scenes stuff and extra kind of interviews that they did at the time. I think it's probably the biggest one there will ever be um, in that sense, even more than 23. Wow. And I think I don't think 25 would have as much publicity material as, as 24 did for the new Doctor and everything. Uh, so it's a big set. And I love the fact that hopefully season 24, which can be quite a Marmite season, I hope that encourages people to look at it afresh, you know, and, and, and make a new decision about it. Yeah. Um, and so now going a, a little bit away from, from doing stuff that you've done, if you got the chance to make a Doctor Who spin-off, what Doctor <laughs> Who spin-off would you make? And <laughs> would it be in audio or would it be visual? Oh God! Oh God! I don't know, Tom. Uh, what 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 do I like in Doctor Who that I'd like to see more of? Uh, I my favourite bits of Doctor Who. I'm a, I'm, I'm a big sucker for kind of early Tom 
and so on. So I'm just trying to think if there's any, any particular thread. I mean, maybe you could, I, I guess even even things like Life on Scara, you know, kind of Davros's early years, Big Finish have kind of done that. They did the I, the I Davros stuff, didn't they? Uh, so actually Big Finish have probably nailed most of them. Maybe you could do like a Fenric through the ages or something like that. Maybe, because we get the impression that Fenric's been around yeah. for a long, long time in lots of places. If you like did the life story of Fenric and it was uh, him doing awful bad things and different points in human history and different space that'd be that'd be quite yeah. fun uh we i have a really soft spot for <laughs> well I, I do it about the silly bits of doctor who as well you know i have a real soft spot for the time monster <laughs> and for that university that the, the master's running at that point he's pretending to be a professor so maybe you could do a spin-off that's about a term at that university with the master in charge yeah. of a class of students and it's kind of like you know he's secretly getting them to do evil awful things but they don't know it um, and they're just like this seems a bit suspect do you not think this is a bit evil maybe what would it like no 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 it's lovely it's gonna be we'll have a nice day out down at the <laughs> the Faros project or whatever yeah. as it's being built or I, I don't know uh, so no I don't know but I, I but I guess you'd always you'd always think live action is is kind of the ultimate isn't it yeah you know, like, I, I love animation and I love audio but you know it's it's filmmaking is a visual medium yeah. and and actors are amazing you know human faces are amazing so I'd always think you know wouldn't it be great to do some of this stuff for real you know for live action yeah and and um I I was coming from a, a writer's point of view as an audio what what's your thoughts on the Bessie audio because I because I, I just think it's a weird concept because Bessie, like Brum, can't really speak and, and never spoken. What's your thoughts on that? I don't know anything about this. What, what a Bessie what, audio? Yeah, what, so there's so an audio drama about right. Bessie. Right. Who did this? Was this, like, like, this wasn't a big finish thing, was it? Yeah, was, yeah, it was big finish. Was it? Yeah. I don't know anything about this. Well, I would agree with you. That I think it'd be <laughs> difficult. You'd have to do it like Herbie, wouldn't yeah. you? You'd have to be about the human cast... <laughs> I love Bessie as much as the next man, yeah. but I think it would be difficult to to make it about Bessie. Yeah, because even making something about K nine is hard, and mm. K nine can talk, you know, and, and yeah. think and so on. So, but then we always I'm trying to think: do we ever establish if Bessie has any kind of sentience? It often feels like the Doctor Not pretends this. that Bessie does stuff, and he drives yeah. her around and says, "Oh, Bessie." Yeah. She's doing it. I'm trying to think if there are any actual moments where it's like the TARDIS. I wouldn't be surprised if Bessie has like a bit of TARDIS crystal or coral yeah. or something in her engine that means she's slightly Time Lord, you know, because she's not quite normal, is she, Bessie? Yeah. She's not a normal car. Uh, so, <laughs> but I would still, I, I would balk at pitching a, a story about her purely, yeah. you know. But we love filming with it. I mean, we've done a few docs where it's not the the, the the actual Bessie is in a museum, beautifully maintained, but not roadworthy. You can't yeah. take her out uh, on the road. So we use a chap called Dean Rose has a beautiful Bessie replica, which is kind of more, in a way, more authentic than the real thing in some ways, because it has those little details like the, 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 the turbo fast drive thing. And it's got the little hand indicated. Yeah. Uh, so it looks beautiful. And, and we've taken that out twice now for documentaries in uh, we did one for we went back to to Derry for the green death and drove Bessie around and we did it again in Oldbourne uh, so I love Bessie I think there's something whenever you see that car I'm amazed they, they didn't actually bring it back in the new series did they no like the last time we saw her was in Battlefield I guess yeah uh, and I'm surprised that Russell or the or that that, that uh, Stephen in like the 50th 
wasn't tempted to have Bessie being in the Black Archive or something like that. You know, yeah, I'm surprised yeah. it didn't pop up but, somewhere. But with with Bessie being an actual car, not like like you can actually buy these type of cars. What do you yeah. think? What do you think that it'll still be road safe to this day? Because I was thinking, and the massive Doctor Who fan, I'd be really interested just to drive down to Tesco's in Bessie in my own yeah. version of Bessie. Absolutely. Well, you'd get some looks, you know, I think you'd definitely get some attention. Uh, I mean, that, that's a lovely thing with the replica that we that we use on these documentaries. Um, genuinely, it's it's gorgeous seeing it on the on the street. You know, you wouldn't want to go on a long journey in Bessie, no. fairly exposed sitting in, in Bessie. Uh, but for a little, little hop around town, I think no. it's, it's amazing. And the, and we had a lovely moment when there was a young lad, I think called John. He used to be a young lad. He was a boy when the demons were shot in Oldbourne. Yeah. And then he came back as a 50-odd-year-old, I guess he would have been mid-50s. Uh, and he got to ride around in Bessie for the first time wow. since he was a kid. And, uh, and and so, you know, I think there's something magic about Bessie that... I love the Hoomobile too, but the Hoomobile is not not quite as charming as Bessie. I think something about Bessie that's quintessentially whimsical in that Doctor yeah. Whoey way. Uh, but I do, I'll, I'll, I'll stick to the idea that there's probably a bit of the TARDIS that the Doctor farmed out into Bessie to give her a little bit of sentience or something like that. Yeah. Um, now, uh, one thing that uh, my fans out there, uh, well, if I've got any uh, fans out there would want to know... We've all is, got fans, Tom. Is what, um, what like tips or advice would you give to budding audio drama writers or, or like documentary filmmakers? Yeah, I think the... I think the important thing is to to find ways of telling stories. Now, it doesn't necessarily, you may not have access to your chosen medium straight away, depending on what it is. If you want to, if your dream is to become like a feature movie drama director, you're, you don't have access immediately to a big feature movie budget. Uh, and you may not have access to actors. You may not, you may be somebody who just thinks all I've got is me and my voice or whatever. Uh, I just think I would say, take every opportunity you can to tell stories and to tell them in a way that isn't just for you that is something that can be seen or heard so for me it was theater for me it was I didn't I had no desire really to go into theater but it was a great way to tell stories and so I got involved uh, I grew up with a stammer and one of my big ways out of it was uh, getting involved in the theater group at school and getting up on stage and acting, not very well, but but doing it as a challenge. And I then at uni, I started writing uh, plays and sketches. We used to do sketch shows and we took shows to the Edinburgh Fringe as like 19, 20 year olds. And, 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 and probably objectively, they weren't very good, but we had an absolute blast making them. And I made, met a lot of friends who were on a similar wavelength uh, about that. And it was really that kind of stuff that led to me writing my first short films. And initially we were, I was working for a telly company and we were making them for kind of corporate clients. You know, we'd make, I made a film called The Conquerors, uh, but with a K, Conquerors, um, which is about a school where conquer fighting has been banned and it's gone underground into like a fight club style, uh, like, like awful mayhem going on in the school basement. And, uh, and that was made for a corporate client who wanted to make an anti-bullying film to show in schools. And we were like, hey, we can kind of hijack this and, and have a budget and do something mad that we would enjoy. And kind of we felt if we enjoyed it, kids would enjoy it because mm. we were only like 20, 
23, 24 at the time. Um, and it was films like that that I was able to show to the BBC to say, let me do Doctor Who documentaries. I know this is not a Doctor Who documentary, but this should give you some idea of our legitimacy and that I can, I can do this. Uh, so I just think take every opportunity. And, and you guys have got something that I didn't have in that I, my friends and I, we would grab a mate's home movie camera and we would sometimes make little films when we were teenagers and we, would, we didn't have any edit software. So we would just film them and edit them live. So everything would be a first take. And so we'd literally get the takers and they would be like, okay, and the edit is there. So then here's the next shot. And we would, we would do it in camera mm -hmm. essentially. And, and now you've got this amazing uh, showcase in, in YouTube in particular that, you know, I'm not, I'm not blind. I, I know that there must be millions of creators who make stuff for YouTube and toil away and it never gets seen. And, and maybe there's disappointment there, but occasionally something on YouTube will take off and get somebody a name and suddenly from nothing, you might be out there to, to the world. And, and that's a platform that we really didn't have 20 years ago. And uh, it's a great platform and, and maybe the same goes for audio drama, you know, and, and that there are apps and websites that you could, that you can work on your own and then get them heard. The main thing is to get it out there and not to just sit on it and think this is, I've written something, but I don't think anybody's ever gonna wanna see it or hear it. You need to find a way of actually making your thing and and otherwise it doesn't really exist it doesn't really count until you can present it to other people in in some way and that and even if the first thing doesn't doesn't give you what you wanted it will be your the start of your journey that maybe in five ten years time will get you to where you want to be yeah uh, and 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 that that's that's very very because a lot of people that, that now are fans, as you say, use YouTube. A lot of them are creating their own audio dramas and fan films and bits and bobs are looking really incredible. And have you uh, heard any of the fan audio dramas? I'll be honest and say, I, I don't, I probably haven't. I've, I've, I've bumped into fan films and so on from over the years, because in some way, you know, people have been making these things since the early eighties and they're kind of, or if, if, not, if not before. Uh, so there's a pedigree to these things that, that has always been part of Doctor Who. And there's a whole audio series from the early eighties where my friend Richard Marson, who was like a producer on Blue Peter for years and wrote the John Nathan Turner book. He's, he plays a Doctor Who companion, I think alongside Gary Russell, or maybe Gary produced it uh, as they were just fans. They, yeah. they weren't doing it to be on telly or on the radio. Um, so I've bumped into a few things over the years, but not, not so much as I'd like in a, in a way because I'm even behind with big finish stuff, you know, like massively behind with big yeah. finish stuff. So it's hard to keep keep track. But I'm aware that it's there. I'm very, you know, it's nice to see that people are. Uh, I like the idea that Doctor Who inspires people to write their own stuff. You know, yeah. to, I think fan fiction is a great offshoot of a show like Doctor Who that it inspires imagination, just like me writing sequels to Fenric in my yeah. exercise book. You know. Yeah, and and a lot of fans now because because they're inspired by the show, they, they go off and create their own. So there's really popular ones. As I can't remember the name of the series, but it's so a, a YouTuber called Miles Taylor was probably one of the first fan audios I'd ever seen, where he made his own Doctor, his own universe, and he could do what he wanted, and he got the inspiration from it. And I think I think these these type of people will end up working at places like Big Finish because they're all incredible. But um, at the moment, 
uh, I think it was like the other day you were saying that you were writing a new uh, audio drama for Big Finish. It's hmm. your 10th uh, one out, out the list. And I have uh, a, a few of ones that you've written. <laughs> Which ones have you got, though? Well, you... I've got the, the Memory Bank. Yes. Uh, That's the first. That's the very first. Yeah. Warzone. Yes, with Peter. Lovely. Yeah. Uh, Iron Bright. Very good. And then I have, of course, the middle. Now, if you are allowed to say anything, um, what, what's the idea about the new one, if you're allowed to say anything? <laughs> I can't really say anything. Uh, I'm, I'm writing at the moment. I think we're going to get an, another appearance. Actually. Oh, no, she can't quite get through the door. That's awful, isn't it? She's... Can you hear the screaming? Can yeah. you hear the screaming, Tom, in my yeah. house? It's my daughter outside the door. She'll be fine. She'll be fine. Uh, so I can't really say that much. It's 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 as I think I, I put on Twitter. It's it's a Doctor Who story. Uh, it's part of obviously with Big Finish. They've changed the shape of the range now. That you had the main range before of Colin and Peter and Sylvester uh, as its own thing, and now everything's splintered off into its own box sets. Is the idea so there'll be a Colin box set of a few stories, followed by a Peter box set of a few stories, and 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 they've all got their own production teams, you know, um, and and so I'm working on one a story within one of those box sets, yeah, which I think is due out in the next couple of years, yeah, uh, and is a properly time hoppy one, which I haven't really done before. Yeah. I'm used to kind of thinking, let what would be an, an interesting location for a Doctor Who story, yeah. and. Uh, and and setting everything within one place like Formikia in in the middle and trying to build that world uh, and this one is very much we're going to go here and now here and now here and now here and the, and it's it's an int- it's an interesting challenge because you don't want it to be too flippant about that you don't want it to be too I love the chase yeah. for instance but you know there's a flippancy to a story like the chase when they're planet and time hopping that you think I want to make sure I don't go too tongue-in-cheek with it that i want it to still resonate um yeah. so no so that one uh, i've d- finished the first draft of episode one as ever my first drafts tend to be pretty rubbish uh but it's good to have the kind of structure of the house up and now i can start to build the walls of the house and put the roof on it and yeah. fill it with uh furniture and uh and then but but before i do that i'll, I'll do it i'll do the first draft of episode two next week yeah, and uh, and then a circle round, and uh, it's good. I mean, I, I I find it very much a tonic. If you've been out making documentaries where you're kind of trying to piece together something real, and you're trying to, you know, you don't want to tell people what to say. You want to try and put people in a in a in a in a situation where they can give you their best stuff, and it feels natural. Um, but then it's nice with an audio drama yeah. that you can just say, no, I will literally make this character say this thing. I will not pussyfoot around it. I'm literally a fascist on a keyboard saying, you will do this yeah. character. Uh, and, and, and that can be, quite, that can be quite nice at that moment when you've yeah. been, been maybe pussyfooting around a little bit beforehand. Yeah. So no, that, that one, there's that one. And then there's still a, there are two that haven't been released that are due to be released. So there's yeah. a Tom Baker one called The Friendly Invasion that I've written, which is... Uh, set in World War, I don't know if they've put the synopsis house, but it's but it's kind of a World War Two one. I tend to go back to World War Two. Yeah. Well, um, weirdly inspired by Oldborn, but I won't say anything more than that. Uh, like the real world Oldborn yeah. is kind of the inspiration for it. Uh, and then the other one is it has been announced is a Colin Baker one called Elevation, 
which is part of a box set they're doing uh, about the Eleven, who's the, if anybody's not heard it, it's, he's the rene renegade Time Lord, who all of his Eleven incarnations kind of live in him vocally at the same time. So he switches between incarnations verbally. Uh, so he's crazy. <laughs> he's, a, he's a lunatic. Uh, but th this is a story all about the Eleven uh, getting involved in a world that feels a bit more connected to him. You know, he has a bit more empathy with and the doctor kind of circling over. It's quite nice where the doctor's only in, he's in the first and the third story, but he's not yeah. in the second story. So it, it is the 11 as the main character with the doctor popping into it, which has been quite nice to write. Uh, but I think that's out. I think that's out in November. I could be wrong. It's certainly later this year. Yeah. And and with, with you writing all these uh, audio drums, how do you come up with a title? Because titles seem to be the hardest thing to like come up with. Yeah, it really varies, you know. Uh, sometimes it just happens really quickly. Like the memory bank was literally, uh, I think I, I think I, with the memory bank, I had a, it sounds stupid, I had a dream, <laughs> literally a dream about the core plot of the memory bank, of this idea of, of a big cathedral-like space, which is filled with all the pictures and, and film of, of people's memories, and which is being held together by one person who's having to remember everybody in this in this world to keep them alive. And that that was, uh, and literally it was just, it was always called the memory bank because that, that was the pun. It was, we are within the memory bank and it is a memory bank and, and so on. Uh, with Iron Wright, for instance, you know, that that was just a very lucky from the research. You kind of, you read it up and you thought, oh, uh, I think it's the German, Isambard is kind of Germanic for, uh, for Iron Wright. So, so Isambard Kingdom Brunel, Isambard means iron bright. And so you're like, oh, that's, I've not heard that. That's got quite a nice ring to it. And maybe it says something about the potential of the man. And that's kind of what the story was about, was seeing uh, somebody who achieved something immense when they were kind of in their early 20s and feeling quite disillusioned and, and lost. Um, and then, but then other ones, like the middle, I think, was called something, what was the middle called? The middle was called at one point it was called War of the Ages and at another point was called how oh Christ okay it was called like the 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 uh, the Silver Army or something like that or the Grey Army I think it was called at one point and we just couldn't decide on a name for it I think it was Nick because uh, we had I had the middle in the story and the middleman was in the story and Nick Briggs I think said why don't we just call it the middle and I think it appealed to them that it was part of a trilogy and it was the middle act of that trilogy um, and uh, and yeah and then Something like Warzone. Warzone was a pitch. Well, Warzone was a brief from Scott Hancock and Guy Adams, where they kind of said, um, "We'd like you to write this because you know all about running, don't you?" Because I was like, I did marathon, I do marathons and races and stuff, and, and they said, "Can you write this because we think it should be about running culture?" And it was, you know, it was a, they gave me like a paragraph or so of yeah. the kind of quote, which I thought actually this is interesting because this is kind of what. Russell T Davis would do to his writers on Doctor Who that he would often give them a little chunk of I kind of want it to be about this and you and you go okay well how do I how do I make that and they with that one they said uh call it Warzone I think I suggested we should call it like personal best or PB because those themes kind of come into it and I yeah. thought with uh, without ruining it too much really's not heard it you know personal best it becomes a metaphor for the for the the way that people are being changed in an awful way within the story. 
but they thought it might set us up, set us up for reviewers. If reviewers hated it, they'd be like, "This is not a personal best." So, you know, <laughs> you know, you don't want to put anything in the title that suggests that the story is any good, because uh, it will be used against you in in some way. Um, so I think it varies. I think sometimes you just you lock upon a phrase or a word in the in the writing of it that you think, well, of course, it has to be called that. That's just the only thing it could be called. And other times you're slightly into we never get to do the something of something really anymore, do we? I know I joked on Twitter that I think I put the new story being the something of something, you know, but you never have the guts to do like the horror of Fang Rock or something like that now. But those are the quintessential Doctor Who titles you know the terror of the autons the uh, the planet of evil mm. and and actually we, we, we're always trying to come up with cleverer ones now all i really want to write is the planet of evil you know that's that's that would be yeah. the crowning achievement and now now coming coming to the end of the interview um people will want to know and surely i want to know what software do you use to write your scripts I'm, somebody asked this the other day I'm very basic I, I have used things like Final Draft before and I just find them all a bit fiddly and annoying and you have to pay for money for them at least at some point and so I just use Word because uh, I'm because uh, I just I'm just I just like using Word and I find it very familiar because I've used it for years like we all have and um, and so I there's very much a big finish format that they will send you an example script and it will say this is how you do kind of stage directions, if you like, or kind of this is how you do audio. This is how you do dialogue. This is how you do page breaks and all that kind of thing. Mm. And uh, and so you stick to that. Uh, but I just do it on Word because I, I just think it should be something you're comfortable with. And don't let that kind of snobbishness of oh, what do you use? Are you using this? Or oh, I don't like that. You know, I don't think it really matters with a script as long as as long as you deliver it in the way that yeah. they're asking for it, as long as you give them it in the right in the right way. Uh, but I think I think mostly I've never had them tell me tell me off for using words, so I'm just going to keep on using it. Yeah. Uh, and then and then for editing, we use editing. It varies more. We we used to use Final Cut Pro back in the day, yeah. and then we went to Avid, and I still use Avid a lot. But but we've we use Premiere now uh, for yeah. the for a lot of the Doctor Who editing. Uh, weirdly, Avid tends to still be the standard on on telly. So if yeah. I'm working for the Natural History Unit or something, then it will be usually an avid edit even though premiere is probably a more user-friendly smoother yeah. system these days because yeah. i i use premiere to uh, edit edit my videos and i think and i feel like since i got this computer because i got this computer the, uh, earlier this year i've learned more of the shortcuts so once you know the shortcuts yeah. you can do something like second you know you're doing that 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 boom 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 and it's like woo, and you've done it in, in seconds and you can make something look impressive because you know what you're doing and and for audios what software do you use to edit them if you're ever in, involved in that part see i never have to do that bit uh because I, I i very much um big finish do a great job on the on the on, on the production of those audios and on all of the effects and the music and everything that goes into them i have no <laughs> i have no desire to get involved in that side of things because i quite like with big finish that i i can be just a writer yeah. like normally if i'm making films i'm i'm having to do a bit of everything and i'm i'm very involved in the edit and i'm uh, and i'm writing and I'm filming and I'm literally holding the camera and getting the shots. So I'm everywhere and it's exhausting. And so I like with Big Finish that I can just say, I am going to write you a script. And now here is the script and I'm going to run off now. Bye. And, <laughs> and then maybe pop back 
to come to the audio to the recording day purely as a fan really purely yeah. as just a, somebody listening in the background and occasionally going oh i think you'll find it's pronounced for me or whatever in the background <laughs> uh, but i i tend to not then get involved at all after that i don't mm. think i ever have um and so when you hear it for the first time you don't get advanced i think because everybody's working up until the deadline you don't get to hear the releases before they come out yeah so i hear it when you hear it you know i download it on the day it's out and and suddenly you know you got an idea from the recording day how the performances went and uh but you you, you suddenly got all this amazing music and and effects on top of it and you feel i mean and that's the thing i think big finish they're good at lots of things but they're amazing at really turning an audio drama into something super vivid and 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 exciting so i love that and certainly something like warzone warzone in particular has amazing post-production on it the music in warzone and the effects I, I thought this you have elevated the script which is you know just all right script but it's really elevated by what they did to it afterwards it, it really puts you into that space and makes you feel like actually I'm, I'm kind of just watching an episode of doctor who but with with the brightness turned all the way down you know with with, with, with no visual at all yeah well uh, thank you for coming on to this um interview slash podcast slash whatever else it turned out to be no problem, Tom. My pleasure. Been lovely and, to talk to you. Yeah, and I hope you guys at home enjoyed this wonderful interview. There'll be more interviews coming soon, so keep your eyes peeled. As I said before, keep your eyes peeled on the main channel and the third channel and the ninth channel, fingers crossed. But hope you enjoyed this video. It's me, Time or Tom out. Bye! Bye!